This is Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Matt. That's Ryan. Ryan, when I write my memoirs, you will read them with pain and with shame. You'll be searching in vain for your name, for your bleak, insignificant name. When I write my memoirs, which will be, of course, in verse... On the subject of how of you and how awful you are, I will be infinitely terse. Matt, I have a series of questions for you. Is there a man in heaven looking out for you? Is there a place dead loved ones go? Is there a source of wisdom that will see you through? Will there be peace in our time? No. Uh, That's correct. That is the correct answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the answer isn't even a qualified yes. Um, If you recognize those lyrics, congratulations to you, because I would not have before a few days ago. Uh, But now that I've now that I've heard them a few times, they are indelibly etched on my uh, indelibly etched on my memory. We are talking about a record called Fifty Song Memoir, uh, released earlier this year by the Magnetic Fields, which which essentially like uh, on this record, though there are some collaborators, it really is mostly the frontman Stephen Merritt, and this is uh, this is something that that Ryan suggested we do for reasons not worth going into. We kind of changed records uh, this week, and of course with with abbreviated with abbreviated preparation time, um, we were. Uh, with abbreviated preparation time, we of course decided to pick a, a three hour long record, uh, 50 song memoir, which is one. Maybe the longest record we've ever discussed. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that could definitely be the case. Uh, one song, one full, you know, pop song for each year, uh, in the life, in the first 50 years of Magnetic Fields songwriter and main frontman Stephen Merritt. Um, and the, and as I say, it's mostly him. It's my, you know, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's sort of this. And, and so, uh, so we, we are, um, a little overwhelmed by this, this magnum opus, but, uh, both admire it, I think, uh, a great, a great deal and have been, well, yeah, this album, this album is long and daunting, but then again, so is life, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pro there is no other, you know, form more appropriate for, for taking on an, an, uh, an entire biography. And I feel like it also conforms to a certain extent to the kind of the TFT ethos of, of sort of trolling and, you know, uh, wry, uh, humorous derision, right? Because Absolutely. As, as you can get, as, as you, you can probably hear from the lyrics uh the lyrics that we quoted one about a uh you know one about settling scores with an old friend and or an old enemy and uh one about um a sort of generally pessimistic uh pessimistic worldview uh that he now holds toward his his mother's uh early spiritual seeking um it, it it is kind of a jaundiced it's a jaundiced eye cast at the uh you know cast at and many of the cultural excesses of the last 50 years or not exactly the last 50 years it runs from 66 through 15 so uh you know it's 15, already two it's already two years out of date <laughs> and yet it was uh it was released earlier this year it was toured, toured in the united states uh earlier this year and and it's the record is so long that he had to play Play 
um, he had to split it up over two nights. And so all the dates were at least two nights long. And uh, you got part one, you know, one and a half, and, and part two. Uh, I suppose it could fit on two 75-minute uh, CDs, but it the the sort of canonical physical form is five um five lps uh or five compact discs um We'll put, wow. you know, so, yeah, so one per one per decade, one per de- yeah, one per decade, and even Spotify. If you look on the desktop Spotify version, it breaks it up: disc one, disc disc two, disc three, disc four, um, disc five. Uh, what? Well, and I'll, and I'll just know. say that even though this album was released a few months ago, I believe in March, it's only I think maybe even only as of this week or within the last few weeks that the um, full album is available on the streaming services. So up until that point, it was only um, what was on at least Spotify and title was just selections from 50 song memoir, which was maybe about 10 to 12 songs, um, one or two from each stretch. Uh, and so I definitely wanted to discuss this once the full version was out there in the world for everyone to hear and not just the, um, uh, the magnetic fields, super fans, um, of which there are, are undoubtedly many, um, but that not everyone's going to spring for the, the five LP, uh, yeah, the package. 120, the $120 on Amazon package. Right. Right. Uh, but but again, once you've listened to it on the streaming, you may want to do that because it really is – it's really quite a thing. Um, it yeah, really... I get the sense these are going to be growers also because the yeah. the just even I feel like – I feel sort of more richness – you know, it, even in my like second and third spins of this, yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, I should say my, my, since it's five albums, my fifth through 10th and my 11th through 15th spins of these albums. Right. Um, and yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a remarkable thing. So, you know, put it on and go take a long walk, right? Go, uh, contemplate your life in melancholy fashion, um, fold laundry and weep. Right. Run a run a fast marathon or uh, on the slower side of a half marathon. Yeah. yeah, don't don't. I mean, don't use this for running music. It, I mean, it will just make you question what the hell you're running for or from. I think that that's. I mean, once you're running the length of this album, I mean, you are going to be questioning that like, regardless. <laughs> so in some ways, it's perfect. <laughs> uh, and uh, and meet us back here to uh, to talk about it. Uh, after this word from our commercial sponsor. Are you trying to learn how to play the synthesizer? I, I just like I have these stubby fat sausage fingers and I can't uh, I can't manage to, to make uh, beautiful music. Why don't you come over to YouTube.com where there are just literally hundreds of explainers and instructional videos in synthesizers and nearly every musical instrument. Oh, my goodness. I feel uh, all these tutorials. I, I feel like the world of knowledge is opening before me. But don't read the comments because for everything you've learned, every, every comment will decrease your knowledge and self-esteem. Good tip. Like this one. It sounds like you're torturing little metal elves. Don't read it. Don't read it. Oh, my God. I'm torturing little metal elves, but I just wanted to play the synthesizer. Oh, even if you modulate the pulse width, nobody will care. Oh, man, you're getting trolled, dude. (laughs) Oh, God, I feel trolled. My musical aspirations are gradually slipping away. Well, that's the magic of YouTube. You're welcome. (laughs) And we're back. 
Matt, I have a, I have a question for you. Oh, yeah, good. All right. I left you an opening there, so I'm glad you jumped into it. These 50 songs on this memoir, with their gaze back at the past and their, their um, application of um, time period-specific musical styles and their recounting of personal anecdotes and historical uh, episodes, are these nostalgic songs? <laughs> Uh, I think the answer is a qualified yes. Um, the the latter ones especially are nostalgic songs. I mean, I, I you know, I yeah, should. So, just, so the latter by latter you mean latter. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess latter technically means means techn- the the second of two things, right? Like, is are the are the latter ones the the. Um, <laughs> yeah, disc the the ones that represent the older uh the older years, you know, songs like 31 through 50 or discs 4 and 5. Um from like Euro Disco Trio uh through um uh, through somebody's fetish, right? Because uh, a lot of the early, a lot of the earlier songs are about direct experience, right? And yeah. and are about a kind of uh, immediate or confusing, um, confusing sort of experience. And I think a lot of what accounts for their uh, their kind of arresting or compelling character comes from them them being sort of unexpected, uh, but in an expected way, right? Like it's it, the kind of the character of the child uh, growing up and like misunderstanding uh, a cat's behavior, for example, or like misunderstanding, like all the all the all the misunderstandings are recognizably childlike misunderstandings, and they're all kind of unfolded. Uh, with a certain kind of if then logic, right? Like if the cat hates me, what else must be true? Um, right. You know, right? Or the mis- misunderstanding the Jefferson Airplane lyric, right? right. The uh, they're killing they're they're killing children over there, like where? Where? Yeah, <laughs> right there, just like over over there. Um, right? Yeah, exactly I, on the other side the little, of the theater. Right. There's a literalism, right? <laughs> yeah, and and that like right exactly, and that that like. Uh, that confuse or that light and and also a kind of a, a sort of primary color interpretive palette right mm-hmm. um childlike uh childlike things um and 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 so that but then later later on in the record it's sort of like they get into uh later on in the record the songs get into more kind of reflecting on things or or uh, more you know adult experiences like regret or contemplation or uh long longing right? yeah exactly in a and longing in a in a you know i don't know in a more contemplative way right like rather rather than the kind of um I don't know, rather than like, uh, uh, I'm look why I am not a teenager or something rather than some of the early kind of love related or romantic related songs, right? Like, uh, number 31, uh, track 31 for 1996 is called I'm sad, you know? Right. And, uh, and that, uh, and then like, and then like in also in that decade, in the fourth decade, there's a song that I liked a lot called be true to your bar. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that like, um, 
And that idea, that's a song about sort of, uh, that's almost a song about community membership, right? Like about collectivism and, and about like the kind of, uh, and, and the kind of like individual responsibility to the collective. And that's, uh, you know, that's a, an interesting thing to, um, it's an interesting thing to kind of write a pop song about, but it's not an immediate experience. It's more a meditation. And in that, yeah. in that there's sort of a, uh, in that there's sort of a nostalgia. Um, well, and there's also, I think it's interesting that that song is, it falls in 2002 because it's written about, um, I believe it's about, um, Dick's bar in New York, um, which is, I guess where it was kind of, um, Stephen Merritt's regular bar and apparently, um, where he actually wrote a lot of, um, 69 love songs his 1999 album that like um is kind of recognizes the magnetic fields kind of um you know real kind of central classic in their in their catalog and so um you know what he said in an, in an interview with the guardian is that um 2002 was actually the year that the bar closed right so that um it's interesting that um because like a lot and you, you see this a few points in the um in the album where the things that the the years that are chosen are not necessarily the years at which the time was, um, the thing was enjoyed, uh, or or by him, but is like in one case, right. So for, um, the bar it's 2002 is when he was feeling nostalgic about the bar as opposed to when he was going to the bar would have been some number of years earlier. Right. Um, and then I think as a flip side, there are some where, the um it actually the year matches up to the events but not but not to actually merit's own appreciation of the events and i think the one that for me um does that is very early right the fourth track uh judy garland uh the 1969 song which is about kind of the back-to-back events in the summer of 1969 of um uh, the uh, the death of Judy Garland and then the Stonewall riots, um, which you know Stephen Merritt was you know four or five, uh, right? And so it's not that he is not he's not saying four or five year old me was at Stonewall, right? Um, he did not. Stephen Merritt didn't start the fire, right? Um, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, in in the like the Billy Joel song, or he's not Forrest Gump, kind of po- po- you know popping up at every important historical event, but that some point later. Later in his life, he reflected on the importance of both of these um, events, um, and again with re- reflection to a sense of kind of community and community membership, um, and kind of how that reflects on his self a sense of self. But it's kind of you know in this case, it's not that he you know made this kind of the you know you know ninety nine Judy Garland of thinking about Stonewall thirty years later. It is a um, artistically adventurous memoir memoir right this is a memoir um in which things are told through illusion or um or or kind of incomplete reference um or through snippets of what was happening at that time um and you learn things about merit but kind of indirectly right through a kind of camera obscura um rather than um like a a literal um blow by blow i mean it, right it'd be a lot longer if it was that right it would be a you know five hundred twenty five thousand six hundred <laughs> <song memoir. laughs> and that's just one year right <laughs> Every volume is 525,600 songs. 
<laughs> yeah, well, m- much like our podcast sometimes is. I mean, this is a rare thing, by the way, when our podcast will be some multiple lower in, you know, in time, like le- less time, yeah. I mean, than, than the actual thing. Usually, we, I mean, we have doubled albums. I'm not sure we've ever right. tri- tripled an album, but we've, we've done definitely- Maybe on some of the punk albums, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Where, where we've like two to three times the length of the albums in the, uh, uh, in the the uh, in the commentary on them, like that that would actually you could actually with the five hundred twenty five thousand six hundred song memoir uh, per year you could actually do that with your life you could have like right. you know a three minute song covering uh, you know covering every minute of your life and pretty soon you're into like you're into Charlie Kaufman Synecdoche New York territory right 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 and it's uh, it's like that but it's not I mean the the other reason I mean the other kind of countervailing trend to nostalgia is the kind of the the jaundiced view right like yes and for that no is a perfect uh is a perfect thing and i want to talk about it uh well let's talk about yeah well i I was sure yeah i want to we have we have 50 songs so there's you know no time to waste right (laughs) well yeah it's this is but this is going to be a nine-hour podcast isn't it to take you know yeah, exactly. Um, that's how we that that is the rule. No, let's let's not pretend. Stephen Stephen Merritt has bested us. <laughs> like and he, you know, uh, and and you know, only fitting, right? Of someone who has you know two projects, right? One of fifty songs and one of sixty nine songs, yeah. and those are two of ten albums under the magnetic fields name, which is only about half of his album length output, right? There are about 20 Stephen uh, Merritt projects out there under one of his various kind of side projects or configurations of, of uh, artists or his own name. And so, you know, we are prolific pro- podcasters, um, and yet um, uh, Stephen Merritt has won this war of attrition with us. So we're going to just kind of go, like, at, at that point, even though I concede, uh, we might as well uh, go in because I think that um, and especially because of the structure of the album, this is actually one we're going diving into the details and then pulling back out to the macro structure is easy because again we don't there's not a lot of work that we have to do in interpreting the um, the the macro the macro structure um, it's it's on the tin right, right. <laughs> and so we can then easily kind of dip into the songs and then and then zoom back out as we need to so what um, what about no really kind of grabbed you well. It- like um a, a couple of things about it like one i i guess the one kind of the one kind of thing is is that there there are, the one kind of general thing i want to say is that there aren't a lot of losers uh in the 50 songs there aren't a lot i mean there are high points and not everything is a high point but there aren't a lot of turkeys right in right in 50 songs and that's remarkable like it maintains and and because he trades in cleverness you know and kind of epigrammatic uh you know um like uh alexander popian type satire you know yep. of like of the the social excesses of the 60s um and the the kind of uh uh cockamamie spiritual beliefs in the case of this particular song and right. maintaining that level of like the thing about you know oscar wilde famously had to like write out his clever sayings the night before you know it, so <laughs> right. that he would be ready with his epigrammatic wit the next 
day, right? Not even Oscar Wilde was Oscar Wilde. And it takes, you know, the, the key to, to cleverness is revision, right? Is, is sort of practice. And the, the, um, in cleverness, in like epigrammatic wit, there's a, there's like an onstage persona and an offstage persona. And the, the trick is always like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? F- furiously scribbling out, you know, dozens of versions of a particular line until you until you uh uh settle on the one that has the the right combination of like diction and rhythm and and uh cadence and and uh uh sardonic humor and what you know whatever and that like that and that that like high level of cleverness is maintained throughout is mm-hmm. um uh is uh is really remarkable so the the um the structure of at least the first two verses is a series of questions the answer to them is no right and ryan quoted the, them at the beginning is there a man in heaven looking out for you is there a place where dead loved ones go is there a source of wisdom that will see you through will there be peace in our time no <laughs> right. Uh, right. and and so i mean a couple of things about this it's it's um a B A B. So you you can anticipate the no because you know that it's going to rhyme. They're yes or no questions, uh, and it, you know it's going to rhyme with go. And go doesn't rhyme with uh, doesn't rhyme with yes. Now the 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 melody is a great folk song melody. Uh, yeah, right. You know. Yeah. And, um, and there's something, I mean, there's something in the instrumentation of this, this particular one, actually the musical style is something that we, we should get to generally, uh, a little bit later, but it has this, uh, it has this inevitable quality, both because of, I think, folkiness to me, like folkiness is about songs that sound like they were passed down from generations and not, not, you know, invented by, uh, invented by an artiste, uh, by a beret wearing artiste. Right. And this, this has that. Uh, this sort of has that uh, uh, character in the melody. But um, so like, is there a man in heaven looking out for you? Is there a place dead loved ones go? Is there a source of wisdom that will see you through? Will there be peace in our time? One, two, no. It's on the end of two, the, the thing. So there's this slight hesitation and it's syncopated, right? Uh, in the... Uh, in the, in the rhythm of, of where it's delivered. I did it, I did it badly there because I was trying to illustrate by, uh, uh, by count, counting it out. But to me, that's like, that's the, the placement of no in the bar is the, uh, the, um, is the genius of the, the song. And there are also some like certain like, uh, roundabout locutions, right? Uh, mm-hmm. verse, verse mm-hmm. two, uh, we knew Carmu, a faith healer, the black Christ, he said, laying hands on high and low. Did he cure colds and cancer and bring back the dead? Did he refuse donations? No. And that like, uh, that like, did he refuse donations? Uh, is, you know, what, like, you know, was, was he, uh, uh, a con artist, right? Like is a straightforward way of, of saying right. that, you know? Um, but did he refuse donations is sort of, um, circuitous a, enough. Yeah. Yeah. It sets up a double negative, right? He did not refuse dona- donations. Right. Yeah. And that like, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's also like refuse donations, like donations, um, 
for like gifts or money, you know, it, it just, it sets it in such a rarefied kind of social, it establishes a kind of social uh, level, yeah. right? Um, yeah. You know, because of the complexity, because of the complexity of the addiction. Uh, and that that like, and and that coupled with the, I, I feel like the there's just fantastic sardonic irony that comes mm-hmm. with the that comes with the way no is hesitated and then syncopated you know that it's that it's <laughs> it's kind of like did he refuse donations no <laughs> you know like <laughs> no right don't be an idiot you know <laughs> well i mean i think part of what you're saying there's several things that, that's striking me here i mean one getting back to the kind of writtenness of it and the, the polish i mean and, and part of what you're saying is that beyond it being kind of like oscar wilde it's like the practice of of stand-up right that um good stand-up um is exactly this where you, there is a joke or there is a line um but a working stand-up um you know practices this uh there's there's a kind of um back and forth between writing something out and polishing it and then trying it live and refining both the structure and the timing right and this is one where there is structure and timing but then what makes it different from 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 stand-up or even from exactly kind of you know, kind of musical comedy or a a joke song is that it is, well, I mean, it's, I don't know if this makes it different or not because it's, it's, you know, what's also really interesting, I guess it's more subtle than a, a kind of joke song um, in that what it has this folk song backbone, but even as you sung it, what it sounded like to me also is a, is a hymn, right? Um, yes. And, you know, hymns, Right. Um, and it's and of the kind of hymns that are closest to folk music and Ameri- um, Well, yeah, an American hymn, a like, exactly. uh, yeah, exactly. a, a sort of, well, who the, the Quakers don't sing, but like uh, I'm trying to think like a Baptist hymn or something like that. Right. right, right. Like I'm, I'm trying even, to think of like, like, I mean, I mean, yeah. Amazing Grace, I guess is not American, but um, or is it? Um, no, it was uh, uh, it was a British guy. Right, right, right. But like kind of it's still that, that kind of newer anglo uh vintage right uh this, these kind of i mean right protestant hymns right <laughs> i guess I mean, like protestant folk hymns um uh, uh, of, of of one kind or another i mean I, I i grew up in the methodist tradition uh the united methodist tradition which is an offshoot of um of of you know the anglican church uh way back um and so that i think that some of those those traditions are there right and so but again it's this is not set up as a parody hymn, but that those it's a much more subtle cueing of that in this theme, you know, if the themes of the song are about his mother's spiritual quest and about, um, you know, calling bullshit on some of it, then having elements of just like slightly resonant hymnness um, is, is, is very effective. Right. Um, and the, um, and, and, and as you said, the musical styling does this a lot, right. That there are a lot of times where, and sometimes it's more on the nose, right. That, you know, how to play the synthesizer is um, very much a synth pop song, right. It's a synth pop song about making synth pop. Well, right? I, I was, uh, I was sort of curious about this listening through my first time. Like how is the musical style going to evolve and Mm -hmm. and i think it's it's definitely true that the textures get a little more complex uh as you go on and and there's a little more like there's some sitar later on there's some like you know um 
stuff but like the the earlier i think you're right like folk songs hymns you know things like this but there i don't know there is a uh almost a uh like mm, brian wilson-y quality to the whole to the whole thing or uh like uh yeah and i'm i'm thinking like pet sounds brian wilson right like with the with the kind of the 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 heterogeneity of textures of the like slightly yeah. bizarre instrumental choices even the sort of reverb you know the yeah. kind of the yeah, yeah, yeah. the kind of the spacious quality of a lot of the way the way it sounds a lot of the vocals are chorused or maybe they're just yeah. overdubbed so that yeah. like uh uh so that it sounds like there are many many Stephen Merritt singing yeah, um, yeah. Well, what I'll say is that then also um, on a cat called Dionysus, it is the sound of one specific pet, right? <laughs> <laughs> so there are there are pet sounds in total, but he also then does have the sounds of one one uh, one pet in particular. Pet um, <laughs> pet pet sound. Right, pet sound, uh, and I mean, I, like, right that in the outro of that song are the meows, right? Like any album that, like, I mean, that's like what track three, like, there is the the symphony of yowling cats, um, and that is just like you talk about bold statements of artistic purpose, um, you know, that is in the like you know ninth minute of a you know what uh, a a three hour journey of a hundred eighty minute journey. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, and again, man, that's, that's life, right? Um, that, uh, life has, uh, life has those indecipherable cats, cat sounds. And I, I love it cause it is, it's, it's, it, and it, cause it walks this line, right. Um, between being, you know, and that's one of the sillier songs, and yet it is very. It's one of the songs that, in the delivery, right, is actually much more um, like kind of somber, right? And it's this kind of uh, a very somber. Uh, it's delivered in a very somber way uh, about the you know right uh, with the refrain being he hated me but I loved him in right? <laughs> uh, the despair of a three or four year old um, not really understanding how to work a cat right <laughs> right um, and one of these like uh, right uh, I used to keep him in my box where I kept all my toys and blocks he hated me but I loved him all right and and that's like in part like well you do not if you're putting your cat with your like a cat is not a toy <laughs> um and and putting it storing it storing a cat with a toy is not loving that cat um sure. and so like that like it is it like the, like di, like the cat called dionysus is not in the wrong here <laughs> um, yeah i mean so, I, I you know yeah I, I feel like the cat is also like i i don't know a ton more of the oeuvre so i would need a lesson on this though i'm definitely going to investigate it after being introduced to the magnetic fields through this um through this album but but uh uh you know, it it's it was pointed out in one of the reviews. It may have been Pitchfork that this um, early experience sort of prefigures a lot of the preoccupation in his songwriting with unrequited love, which is mm-hmm. a, a claim that that Pitchfork makes. I don't I don't know if it's true or not that a lot of his songwriting is preoccupied with unrequited love. But let's let's presume for the sake well, of, like, of like, argument. Again, it is. One thing that you probably do know is that he wrote sixty nine love songs, um, which is the most unrequited number of love songs possible. <laughs> oh, really? I thought it was the most perfectly requited number of love songs. 
I thought it was the simultaneously requited number of love songs. I mean, I think it's the it's. It, I guess it's like it should be called the quest for for sixty nine love songs, right? <laughs> it's like it is. I think the sixty nine love songs are like a very Don Quixote kind of quest, <laughs> a, a windmill that you that you that you try to chase down and fight, um, and uh, and and go after and go after, or it's a uh, it's 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 like it should be called sixty nine Sisyphusian love songs. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. And that, that, um, but that like, you know, it's, uh, but the, uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm curious about the dynamics of the unrequited love between, between the cat and the boy, because I think the cat is like, um, not even unrequited. It's, it's that it's, uh, uh, the antipathy from the cat and the, the great longing from the boy because children are, are irony free zones, right? Yeah. Like, and, and the cat, I, I feel like a cat is, uh, is a trope of, um, I feel like the cat represents irony. I feel like the cat represents like, uh, uh, I don't know, um, sarcasm or withholding or sort of complex emotional life, right? Like, uh, and, uh, you know, a certain kind of flair or stylishness even, right? And that like, this is sort of about and and uh, and all of these well, and, things. And so and right, and so a cat called Dionysus has no, yet another layer of irony, right? Um, sure. Because because I I do think that you know cats have you know uh, have those things, and yet yeah, Dionysus the kind of you know I wouldn't associate cats as exactly Dionysian, right? Like of being kind of, you know, merrymaking and, and theater and, and kind of, um, and kind of gregariousness. Yeah. The cat, the cat is not the life of the party. No, right? I mean, unless it's like Truman Capote's party or something like that, in which case the cat might do pretty well. Uh, That's a good point. (laughs) Well, right. And that like, or like, or Oscar Wilde's party or something like that. And like, I mean, actually there is a kind of, I mean, there is a sort, I I feel like the cat to a certain extent um, represents a certain kind of cultured adulthood. And I think the cat also represents him later on in life, right? A a little bit, because like a lot of the things that we're talking about, the kind of the arch character, the irony, the, um, you know, kind of generally sour disposition. These are things that we also kind of attribute to the view, the worldview that he, he, uh, brings to light in these songs. Right. And so a little bit like, uh, I don't know if this is nostalgia actually, but I think there is a certain kind of, I think there is a, a certain kind of really compelling thing, uh, in this song of kind of bringing, bringing a younger and an older ver- sensibility of himself, you know, uh, into one, into one kind of dramatic situation, you know? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I th- think that there, it happens a few times i think he he does it again very late in the album um as well i mean that way it makes sense that it would be um uh circular um i mean it's really interesting i mean i think two of the songs that do this in in different ways um are the last two songs on the album the uh the 2014 i wish i had pictures and uh the 2015 somebody's fetish right and the um in in 2014 right he says um uh, a, f- a few things um right but it, it says i wish i had pictures 
of every old day because all these old memories are fading away. Um, there used to be pictures, but they faded too or got lost in the hubbub uh, or I'd show them to you. Uh, all, all my, of all my old lovers, folks I used to know and those I still care for who died long ago, the glamorous cities, each cute little town, the trees um, turning purple and yellow and brown. By the way, this uh, is the this is the meter. This is the same meter that the cat in the hat is written in. Right? <laughs> it's it's trochaic uh Oh no, sorry. It's not. It's um uh it's the meter that Yertle the Turtle uh is written right, in. On the right. faraway island of Salamisan, King Yertle the Turtle yeah. was king of the pond. So anapestic tetrameter is what it's called for what it's worth. Huh. Uh, if I were an artist with charcoal and pad, I'd make my own pictures of each day I've had. If I were a poet, I'd know the right word. I'd make it pretty and grand and absurd. If I were an actor with just a wisecrack or some little gesture, I'd bring it back. But I'm just a singer. It's only a song. The things I remember are probably wrong. I wish I had pictures of every old day because all these old memories are fading away um, and then repeated. Right. And and that this is a I mean, this is interesting because it's a, a flip of that. Um, I mean, I think it recontextualizes a lot of the early songs um, in in that there is a, a, you know, when you circle back, especially because we were listening listening to this very long album on repeat once you kind of get through this and then um the one last song and then you're you're back to the earlier songs on the album i think it's another way in which the older self is in dialogue with the younger self but it's it's that the um the the older self is regarding the younger self uh you know the child um in the uh in in the uh, chasing the cat in in a fading photograph right um and it's but then it's 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 like the mc escher uh uh drawing of the two hands drawing each other right um it's a it's a classic but it's it's the ouroboros of one's own life right uh because then when when he's imagining himself as the young boy kind of chasing the grumpy cat right um like the grumpy cat is the one who wrote the song about the young boy right yeah um, um, and so like uh, like in the end and i think this is where it gets to at the at the end is that um it, he actually it, kind of looks like grumpy cat right i mean um i mean and you even see, yeah and, and he's not he doesn't not right um, and, well, and, he, and he kind of addresses this right and like at the um in some ways uh, somebody's fetish the last song on the album is the sound of um is, is the sound of the cat loving himself right uh he says all right in the bridge and this is these couplets kind of talks about um everyone has their own things and, and these are also talking about these are in this mode of kind of these very clever setup kind of um uh, verses um and and rhymes um and we, we could dig into some of them but i think that the the bridge is kind of where it kind of connects it to himself because right? he sets up everyone has something um for that you know everyone that someone is um it you know it could, could be served right um and so uh you know uh and he says and even and i even i with my wildebeest's face my eccentricities and my freedom from grace uh even for me has cupid found a place at last <laughs> right um and uh, a little uh, later on right he says uh, at the very end um, and I, who have wandered alone for so long on my little island, just like King Kong, here at the end, I have written a song for you. Um, and and this is both. I mean, and this is both 
being in love with someone else. But also, I think there is a sense of kind of self-love or self-acceptance um, there um, that is kind of circles back to the cat loving the boy, right? And the grumpy cat also kind of having a sense of of acceptance, even even while being you know while being the cat still. But like the cat and the boy aren't necessarily different. Yeah, um, yeah, and the, uh, exactly. I, uh, yeah, and that kind of acceptance. There's a kind of acceptance, right? That that like that there's a kind of um i don't know there's a kind of uh uh maturity or or a, you know what i mean a certain kind of like um throwing up your hands quality to to or like accepting what you can't change quality uh to a lot of these uh to a lot of these songs even if the uh uh i don't know uh even if the the experience of going through it was hard i you know i'm, I'm not yeah. totally sure i'm, I'm not no, totally I think sure i think it's true because i i think that like the last stretch the last kind of disc of this album i mean um or disc and a, a third maybe from like basically the 2000s um from like y2k on um it like that itself if you kind of release that um it would be another right another breakup album right <laughs> um of of like another 2017 kind of wistful yet mature breakup album because there are and there may be several you know breakups um it's it's unclear but there are um several um breakup songs there right there's the the x and i yeah which is is uh there is um i think never again um uh, i forget if there's there's another one i think if it's um i think it's oh uh, nine has some of these themes but there's a lot of of um there, there are a lot of like kind of breakup songs or songs about being separated from someone that you, that you love. Right. And so that, um, so then kind of coming back around to that sense of, of both playfulness, um, and placing what yourself in the playfulness kind of is after that kind of a stretch of, you know, a stretch of a, um, uh, uh, you know, but it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause like the life isn't the breakup album. Yeah. Right. And, and so that after the breakup album, there's another coda that circles it back to the rest of the life, um, and puts it all in, in perspective. Right. And so, um, and so it, it all connects. Right. And, and so it's, it's such a unique thing. Yeah. Because- life, life goes on, right? Like right. it's not, you can't sort of, yeah, you can't because like, because of the relentless march of time, I was actually, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about what, like what counts as a legitimate rhetorical move in songwriting, right? And generally we would think it was bad. It was sort of bad form or bad literary technique if the rhetorical move or if the kind of the the narrative move was like, and then something else just happened to happen, you know? And that's bad writing, right? It's supposed to have thematic unity and whatnot. Um, But if you're actually doing something autobiographical, you know, history is just one damn thing after another. And like, and and there is a, a a sort of comforting quality to that, and there is a certain kind of peace that that can work inside you when you when you come to accept that. Maybe that's what I was. I mean, maybe that's that's what I was yeah. trying to say trying to say before. Like the idea of sort of looking back on things that shaped you that you can't change, and and a, a certain amount of contemporary self acceptance means accepting all those things that you were yes. right because yeah. those are the things that those are the things that brought you to this point of of self-acceptance right and that like you know um but talking about i mean talking about memory like uh 
you know, talking about like uh, the um, the the photographs and and things like this. Like one of the things one of the things that a photograph doesn't do is change. I guess it fades, like the physical artifact fades, but like it doesn't change with time. And memories change with time, right? Like here in right. the here in the era of TED Talks, you know, here in the era of like turns out uh, Malcolm Gladwellian, uh, you know, human sciences journalism. You know, we we know we now know because there's a Malcolm Gladwell that our memories are not particularly good, and that they they change to fit our contemporary storylines um <laughs> that's where the gladwellian meets the orwellian right <laughs> <laughs> oh that, that, that cleverness took a lot of revision uh, <laughs> and an epigrammatic bon mal worthy of of stephen Merritt, um ryan for the win there may not be point in continuing this podcast but the uh the um you know, mem- like memories change, right? And they they change specifically to fit our uh, our current conceptions of ourselves and and our current kind of meanings yeah. that 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 we assign to things. And and talking about memory, um, the song from 2012, "You Can Never Go Back to New York," is another right. one that that from the first listen started to stick out at me. Um, you can never go back to New York because it changes quick as the weather. Everyone sing it together. You can never go back to New York. Already, I love this song because the rhyme scheme is A B B A, right? Uh, yeah. And that that uh, uh, and that you don't you don't get a lot. And and the the kind of the formal the formal construction. This is like this is uh, verse form. This is like actually pretty disciplined verse form uh, writing. And that and you know I. I just sort of love that. There's an old-fashionedness to it, yeah, uh, which is appro- appropriate enough because he's talking about being an old fart and going back to the city where you spent your youth, you know, uh, and right. and not recognizing it. Um, New York in particular. Uh, you can go to Banff for Big Bear, uh, and whatever you loved will still be there. But if you don't plan to ski there, you can never go back to New York. <laughs> right. You can go out of town for a week and they move it and they move it all around to confuse you, adding new things to amuse you just in case you come back to New York. I was only away for six years and you'd think I'd arrived from Wisconsin. Lots of fresh meat for romancing. Woof, it's fun to go back to New York. <laughs> you can never go back to New York anyway, dear. Why would you want to? There's a new New York to move on to. Yeah, yeah. Who would ever go back to New York? And that's like, and you know, and this kind of, this sort of strikes me as the like uh, another important statement about memory nostalgia and and kind of growing up or growing old going on right like there's a new new york you know that uh you you had those experiences but you can't you can't sort of recapture them you don't have pictures uh but there's a new new york there's still um there's still uh there's still experience to be had there's still more life to be lived and the 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 fact that but there's ski uh ski resorts the the things that the um um counterpoint places that actually do change right like uh or sorry that actually don't change that actually do stay the way that they always that they always were right they're frozen right they're frozen in time they're cold uh and and new york is um fresh meat 
right? It's, right. you know, uh, it's kind of hot and it's, it's moving around and there's, you know, there's romance and, and excitement and sort of new, new experiences. And it struck me that this is like, you know, he's 52, right? And it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to be, uh, this is still relevant in indie rock at the age of 52, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, at that point, it's, you're an elder statesman, right? You are, I mean, because like one of the things we've been talking about this whole um, quarter is about the kind of, you know, big indie, right? And, and by, by big indie, I'm kind of meaning the, you know, this kind of the indie boom, artists of the indie boom of the early 2000s, early, uh, so the aughts, right? The, the, um, of the, the more or less the, the kind of for, latter part of the fourth disc of this album and the beginning of the fifth disc, right? Um, and, and I think what's interesting about Merit, about the magnetic fields is that they're kind of, they, the the kind of big hit slightly precedes that um right of um you know uh 69 love songs is 99 um but they'd already put in he'd already put in his glad talking about gladwell he'd already put in his gladwell hours um uh, you know since you know i think magnetic fields had been um working and putting out albums in one form or another since 91 92 right um and and uh, there are almost all of his other projects um future bible heroes the sixth uh and so on, um, had put out, uh, albums in the nineties as well. Right. So, you know, he's entering the era of, of big indie, um, kind of already established. Right. And there is a number of other artists that are, um, that, that are at that uh, uh, phase, but especially because right as somewhere between a, he's, you know, he's, he's neither a, a band leader exactly, nor is he, um, uh, or nor is he a a solo singer songwriter, right? He's kind of a right. He's kind of a songwriting kind of um, I don't know, like like Pigpen from Peanuts, right? Like with like a cloud of like collaborators and <laughs> instrumentalists uh, uh, in his orbit, right? Um, or or he's a um, you know a, a songwriting uh, son, right? <laughs> um, and and I think that that um, having that kind of right, so. I, I think that you like why be why be a star? You don't need to be a, become an indie star when you can be an indie solar system, right? Um, and so the fact that there is this solar system um, feature um, allows him con- to continue to be relevant, right? We've, we've talked about ways like, like with Shamir, like with um, Feist, of kind of breaking the hype cycle um, and and breaking some of these expectations. And one of kind of just having your lane or ha- having not only your lane but like. Uh, having your own four lane highway that you can then just switch lanes in and keep going in the direction that you want to go in is um, amazing. And, you know, I have not, you know, banged every um, magnetic fields album super hard um, since the, um, the the uh, 69 love songs but like i you know this is another one where i will probably go back and say oh these are all great um and another artist uh that uh that is like that for me um who is similarly prolific and who i'm actually oddly patchy on but the the ones that i i'm really good on i love is uh john darneal and the mountain goats right uh, uh who i know we rarely call our own shots but we're we're talking mountain goats next week <laughs> uh, there's no uh, we're, we're not listening to anything else but 
between now right. and then, but goths. So, right. uh, yeah, there's no other record that we could conceivably do uh, right. <laughs> before the next before the next episode. It's on uh, it's on NPR First Listen now, and it drops on Friday. So start you yeah. know start downloading, start. Streaming. But yeah, but so it's it, there is I think part of this continued relevance is being you know once. Darnell is similar is similar in that right. I feel like uh, I've, on these fifty songs there aren't a lot of turkeys, but I'll bet if you delve into the Stephen Merritt catalog of kind of minor works and and one offs and jokes and things like that, I'll bet there are some turkeys, right? And a little bit Darnell's Darnell is similar that the yeah. the high points are like stunning, and there's a lot of and maybe not even turkeys, maybe that's ungenerous. I want to take that I want to take that word back, but there's there's some chaff right in a you know, uh, uh, discarded from the, from the grain, from the, the, you know, ultra pure grain of all hail West Texas or sunset tree, or I don't know what other, uh, what other ones do you like? I like heretic pride a lot or, uh, uh, Tallahassee, um, or, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, in there, there's a lot of like the life of the world to come, or there's a lot of the, the sort of early ones that had, the, like melon something melon in the title i don't know yeah, 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 uh, yeah. and i'll bet i'll bet you would find that i'll bet you would find that here as well but the thing in what you said the thing that i want to kind of underline and and highlight uh and italicize and put in boldface and circle uh is that aspect of collaboration right yeah. because i think that 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 sort of renews you you know and and the thing you know the thing about shamir is shamir, only shamir is shamir you know and sh- it's almost like it's almost like um uh, it should be now nana verb like shamir shamirs you know right. and that like uh that that nothing nothing enters it's a closed system you know feist yeah, yeah, feists yeah. you know right. and like and with um I, I mean, well, and, then, and then and then conversely though that like you know um the bands can break up right um yeah. you know priests who we discussed earlier in this quarter could break up at some point yeah um you know pavement you know, e- you know either breaks up or goes on a hiatus right other bands of the 90s the pixies um you know uh play and then reconvene um but that um once you are you know and, and so that being this kind of you know, a, a solar system that is a strong creative force with a network of collaborators that's kind of robust because you don't either, you know, disappear um, or kind of like semi-retire or kind of retreat into yourself as this, the solo songwriter does, but you also um, don't necessarily need to break up, right? Like the, um, uh, because because the, the endeavor itself is um, kind of flexible and malleable. Um, I think there's something like, I think this, uh, there, there's actually some of the roots of this, um, are sprinkled throughout the album. I think the song that I see this most strongly on is the blizzard of 78, um, right. Where he talks about kind of his first band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And kind of spending time on this commune in Northern Vermont. Um, and he says, um, the, uh, you know, music was very much not allowed. So we, so we said, Hey kids, let's start a band. Proof that Ganesh loves us. There was no tape deck at hand. Um, and then he goes on and he talks about one one band, um, uh, uh, which was uh, a duo technically. Um, uh, and, uh, and but then I think the the second band uh, that I really like, I, I he says I play guitar. Chris played tin cans. Caroline played tambourine. Chris was eleven. Caroline twelve. I thirteen. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, one another one of those glorious Stephen Merritt wines, r- rhymes. Then says we called ourselves the Black Widows. 
We weren't the last nor the first, but we were almost certainly by far the worst. Um, and and again, and I think that that is. I think that there's a number of things there. I mean, one is the I think that it has a similar kind of plane with um, it's very similar to um, to know. Right. In which it's it's that that you see the fulfillment coming. Right. Because it's it's very um, in terms of how the tempo works and how the rhyme works. Yeah. You know know where it's going right and he stretches it out right um that you know but we were almost certainly by far yeah i've i've said so i've said this before but the the um the professor who taught the kind of advanced writing uh, poetry writing classes in college was was a guy named John Hollander who was a critic and a poet, uh, and he, um, you know, he he for me in literary studies is he was a totally no bullshit guy and yet completely playful and very fun and you know an excellent critic, uh, but not not prone to theorizing. He was very you know he was very in the thing and one uh, he was very practical and one of the things he he said and I think I've said this before uh, is when you find an effect that sticks out to you, but that you are a little uncertain as to how it works. Rewrite the verse without it Mm. and, you know, and see what it does. Right. Like, okay. So, uh, we weren't the last, well, we weren't the last nor the first, but we were the worst. Okay. That's one thing. That's like, Mm -hmm. that sounds like Edwin Arlington Robinson. That sounds like that's, that, uh, has like a pathetic drop. That's it. Like that line undercuts. Um, uh, we weren't the last nor the first, but we were almost certainly the worst. That's kind of banal. And then, uh, we weren't the last nor the first, but we were almost certainly by far the worst. And that that does it right. Like that's that that's that yeah. kind of arch. That's that arch uh, uh, that arch quality. And then like I, I you know we're probably good. We're probably going to wrap. But like uh, I can't let this. Um, we can't let this next uh, verse go unrecited. We made the cramps sound orchestral. <laughs> that's an achievement, I guess. As for rehearsal, we made the shag sound like yes. And then there's great, right? And so because this and then the song, though, then does this very interesting thing musically where it where it stops. It stops on a dime and then comes right back in for uh, for to bring it home because it's a song itself that kind of evokes some of this kind of feeling of messy noodling. Um, and yet it then precision hits um, a, a musical break, right? A very simple one, a stop start, uh, but one certainly that um, the black widows or the one and a half could not have hit. Right. Um, and so that it, it is just interesting to kind of think about though, that there, and I guess another kind of thing about this of, you know, being in a kind of illicit, I mean, right, that, that this was not, you know, and it's, nothing is said about the genres, but an illicit, um, you know, an illicit tween band on a, on a commune is almost certainly a punk band, regardless of what kinds of songs they played, right? That this is a engagement with punkness, um, you know, and, and that there is an end of, of kind of playing, if you're playing on a commune, um, then it, it actually makes sense, right? That there are these 
two bands mentioned in this episode that one is two people, another is three people. Um, and yet, and, and that kind of already sets the seeds for this mode of collaboration um, because, um, and for whatever reason, even though in recognizing the badness, um, the, the goodness emerges, right? <laughs> and uh, the goodness there is just the doing of it and, and this kind of rebelling against um, something. And again, this kind of connects it back to no and kind of creative project, right? Yeah. Uh, well, we'll, we'll uh, have to leave it there. Um, but uh, uh, there are like the, the 20s decade when he becomes insufferable uh, and, and the 30s decade that does not, that hasn't quite uh, achieved um, uh, the uh, rueful um, self-acceptance of the, of the 40s decade, right? Like that, that those are both... Uh, there are definite strong points uh, in that as well. I recommend to you Ethan Frome, Weird Diseases, uh, Me and Fred and Dave and Ted. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, be true to your bar. Uh, and from the, from the insufferable death. Ethics as well um, from the insufferable college decade. Yes, yes. How I failed ethics. Um, all right. Well, uh, you know, there's there's plenty to dive to dive into. Uh, the great conversation will continue. You can find us on Twitter, TFT Podcast, and Facebook. We're Theory for Tuning Tables. And uh, if you want to to join the great conversation, find us in the comments on the show notes for this episode. We will be back next week with an episode on John Darnielle's uh, Goths from the Mountain Goats. Until then, keep it real.